This podcast was created by the Arts and Junior Cycle team in collaboration with the JCT4 team for the Junior Cycle Talks channel. Welcome to this podcast. My name is Michael Lynch. I am an advisor for the JCT4 Technologies team in Junior Cycle for Teachers. And I'm very glad to welcome Nicola and Gráinne here today from Studio Red Architects. So without further ado, uh, I'm just going to ask both ladies to introduce themselves. We might start off with Nicola. Uh, maybe give us an introduction to yourself, Nicola, and perhaps um, your, your role in the company as well. Thanks for having us, Michael. We're delighted to take part. I'm Nicola Ryan and um, myself and Gráinne set up Studio Red Architects in 2008. And we had studied together in um, what was then DIT, Bolton Street, and is now called TUD, I believe. And Gráinne? Yeah, I'm, I'm Gráinne and um, myself and Nicola, as she said, we, we had spent five years supporting each other through college um, and we had gone traveling together around the world and we decided ah sure if we've put up with each other this long we'll uh we may as well set up a company and and go for it so yeah we we set up and we never looked back yeah so we you mentioned traveling. then that 2008 was when the practice was set up and you know we all know looking back on the history books that was a turbulent time in yeah. your particular industry did that have any effect of course it, it obviously had an effect but what way did that affect your startup um, at that time and how did that kind of play out over the preceding years to where we are now? Well, it was pretty lean to begin with. Those first two um, years, yeah. They were tough now. Very and I tough. suppose you're trying to forge out a reputation for yourself. But in order to do that, you need to have completed work. So that it was difficult. It was lean. But looking back on it, I think the benefit of having that time was that we set up really good structures in the practice. Um, and really good templates and drawing standards. And we actually had the time to do that rather than kind of mm. rushing to produce. And I know, I suppose I'm coming from the junior cycle slant on it and there will be an element uh, within the framework for junior cycle around key skills. And even just to reflect back on that time in your own practice, in your own work life, what, what key skills did you kind of develop at that time as architects? that stand here now um, having set up at that particular time? Oh, well, the key skills wouldn't be architectural. You know, as soon as you set up a practice, I think in any professional discipline, you have to become a business person. So mm. we started, our, where, where we were starting at is we were good architects and then we had to learn how to run a business. And the last 13 years have really been us developing as business people. So that's a huge skill set that you're not, you don't, leave with and mm. I think it's the same for a GP setting up a practice or a solicitor setting up a practice they're not given business skills and it's just it's so so different so yeah that but we both really enjoy that and I think we've we've learned an awful lot about running a business mm. and kind of a sort of a, a review like critiquing keep reviewing yeah. critiquing what we're doing and reviewing all the changing time. yeah not yeah. just tipping along so you have that kind of reflective aspect to your role all the time that you're you're learning both in your architectural side of things but also in your business side yeah, as you, well you audit, audit. Now, yeah. that the, very the business fancy, terms yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. that well, usually you know. consists of us having a cup of coffee and a bit of a well, if we're like can we, can we do anything better we do we actually 
do that a lot. We're like, so this isn't working and we could do this better. And then we, we do it. And we've, we've realized that when you sit down and kind of analyze a, a little section of your business and see how you can do it, it pays dividends. It, it increases your mm. capacity to get through work. And yeah, and that's why just if we go along with that team for a moment then about reflection and kind of auditing, you know, and. I suppose we've mentioned it there in the business context, but even in a, in a let's say, a, a project that you might be working on, um, you know, part of the creative process, w- would reflective practice happen mostly at the end of something that's done and dusted or do, is it sprinkled no, throughout? all the way. I think, yeah, I think as a good designer, you need to self-critique all the way along. So it's not about just doing something to complete it. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking through every step of the way you're asking yourself, is this the right thing to do? Is it critical to the to the end result? I think you continually have to question why you're doing something, but not to the point where you cripple progress either. Like you have to be forging a path way ahead. But, you know, in terms of how we design and that, I suppose part of the the skill set that you, you you build up, let's say, in, in college would be to be able to self-critique because um, everyone else is going to criticize you. So you may as well <laughs> criticize yourself first. That's what you learn in college. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, in a, in a room staring at you. Yeah. And I suppose if we, if we talk about your work now, um, is there a particular project that you might be working at now or in, in the recent past that you maybe could you could speak to that maybe um, people might find interesting or that might kind of tie into the conversation we're having today about the creative process and uh, well, the messiness of it and then how it all <laughs> plays out? Well, one thing that's been really interesting is we were very lucky to be able to build our own houses. And it's been so interesting to design something and then live in it because that's something you know you you normally design a building the occupiers move in and then you get feedback and you kind of take that feedback it's kind of written down or you know somebody's telling you yeah you're processing that in a very singular way but when you design something and you actually use the building you really get to see impact of little things and like even just the light but the light all the way through the year and how it changes and that's been that's been really interesting but also to go through the process from the two sides but it was interesting that like like Ronya said earlier that um because typically with the project like you put your heart and soul into the design and then you get it you know you're you're on site inspecting and you're making sure everything is done to the 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 correct details that you've you've done up and then it comes to a point of completion on site and you go in and do a snag list and you're out. Mm. Never, and then yeah. you don't you don't actually get to experience, experience it yeah. as the light as on a, a long proper, summer's day. Or, yeah, you, know, you never that. get to use it as a, like a proper end user. Mm. Mm. Post completion. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But and part part of the nice part, nice part of our job is when you go back to see somebody living or using a building. That's lovely. Like yeah, it's it nice. Very satisfying because, you know, you're you're like, God, I, I drew a little sketch couple of years ago with the pencil and now I'm walking around it that's very cool and like ultimately you know what an architect does is design spaces to make people's lives better so you get to go back and see how you've improved somebody's life and like that is kind of at the core of what an architect does Um, that's that's the motivation Mm -hmm. yeah and not just residential you know any commercial properties it's the same same thing you want to see how it's being used and um, you want to Sometimes people use buildings 
slightly outside maybe the original brief, but because they've realised, oh, I can actually use this for another thing and another thing. You're like, oh, that's really satisfying. Yeah, and, and just to tie in something you mentioned there, just when I was driving in this morning, um, just kind of looking around and thinking about what conversation we might have. And you just notice even the architecture of Dublin and the difference between, you can see the different ages and the different periods of time and how that affected everything. But you kind of think every building, like our built environment, everything is here because at some point in time, somebody imagined it. Mm. And then it was created as a result of that. So you might even speak to either of you or both to that what kind of process you go through from bringing something from imagination, from your imagination to actually a finished product that has been used by somebody that is meaningful to them and that adds values, as you mentioned, there adds value to their life. How that process, I know it's a big question, yeah, but how that process unfolds from the the idea in your mind to actually the, the finished product. It might be a long-winded answer now. But well, I was just yeah. going to say, it does depend, as you mentioned, with the existing building fabric that's there so a huge influencer on the very first stage is what what are you coming across like is it a field is it an infill site that's really tricky between a protected structure that's been there since 1810 and a modern building on the other side you know so all of that will feed into where you even start and we actually love that kind of side of it dealing with kind of the more challenges the better yeah. So I think at the very start of a project, what you're looking at is the client's brief. So their needs and wants. And oftentimes part of our job is to help them to develop up that brief. So what we like to do is ask the client what they need now, but also ask them to think about what are you going to need in 10 years time or in 40 years time so that what what we're actually going to build is sustainable. It's going to be good for long term. So there's this client's brief, there's the site, there's orientation. We're looking at sun path and um, maybe prevailing winds. There may be issues with street noise. street noise or privacy uh, overlooking. So there's all of these, I suppose, constraints and challenges are fed in. And then the more of those, the better, really, because mm. the more constraints there are, the more creative you have to be with your response. And so the trickier the project, actually, the more enjoyable it is. I find. Yeah. I think that ties in with uh, probably a lot of teachers experiences from in my own subject areas, the, the technology subjects where there would be a lot of design and making. And, um, you know, c- from conversations with teachers, we would often find that the most difficult part of a design process for students is the blank sheet of paper. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. And what kind of questions do you ask a client to establish that brief at the beginning? What kind of probing things do you ask? Well, I think if it's residential that's one particular set of questions and then if it's um, like a school or educational building or you know it, it would totally depend obviously on the user um, if it's a residential home you're really I think like Nicola said people can get very locked into their particular stage in life um, you know it might be for a single individual that is building a home, but they don't know in 10 years time they might have four children or it might be for a couple, but maybe their parents are coming to visit and one of them has a mobility issue. They're not going to put themselves in in their own shoes in 40 years time. I suppose we don't really go around thinking like that, Mm. but we would feel we had failed somebody if they had to adapt their home in any way 
during its lifetime. So we we would be very much pushing that. You know, we I want to make sure if anybody visits with a mobility issue or a family member, you know, you just never know mm. what life will throw at you. Uh, but also as as your family changes, so we're really trying to ask some questions about their extended family people that all trying to get a, our heads around that all of the users and so what it's a very personal process really oh, incredibly yeah. personal yeah like mm. sometimes way too personal, way too personal. <laughs> <laughs> we do a bit of marriage counseling as well i can imagine yes um, yeah uh, some of the details you get revealed are just um just too much but there you go yeah. and, and I, pres- I presume an aspect of the job as well is um, maybe a client coming to you and they might be fixated on something oh yeah yeah be it something that's on Instagram or like on a Pinterest lot of the time, or, or like let's say people have very young kids that, that young children have really intense short lived needs like buggies everywhere you know something like that and they can be obsessed with I need somewhere to put a gigantic two buggies and you're like well like in three years time you will not have any of that so you know you have to also t- just really take people out of the now and kind of open up that mm-hmm. page. but yeah a lot of the time you, you do also get an Instagram photo where someone's like I have to have this and you're like well that that's in Spain which, yeah you know, 360 days of Spain of sunshine a year yeah, that, and that will just let in rain here yeah so mm-hmm. you, you would be very cold if you did that. But, but I suppose our job there is to see what it is that they're looking for like are they and looking for lovely it. light yeah. yeah are they looking for a, a kind of a deep threshold you know if it's if it's a big overhanging roof or something are they looking for some way of kind of extending inside to outside so you're trying to take what it is that, that yeah. they're saying that they're seeing in that image and applying it to their to particular what you can do, site yeah. Yeah. What, what brought them to that? Yeah, yeah. and the Irish climate, and also the version that suits their building of that need. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also their budget, thing. their budget yeah. as well, because sometimes that's a bit of raining in. Yeah, and when it comes to your own research for a for let's say a project, um, I know I mean, I'm just tying this back to the education side of things too. That you know when when a lot of us maybe have a brief and want to design and make something, be it a piece of furniture or a little project. Uh, and students might do the same. We jump to the likes of Google Images, we jump to Instagram, we jump to Pinterest. What role do they have, uh, do you see? And then what are the dangers of them as well? And what do you use maybe for your own inspiration or what kind of primary research would you do? We're guilty of all of those things, yeah. I I think there's there's probably um, a risk there with looking at the the pretty pictures in that, like, even we see it ourselves. When we photograph projects, it is very much styled like that things are taken out things yeah. are put in there's a there's a light turned on a certain angle there's a room so, full of all the stuff yeah that the comes with life stuff, and then yeah. you like that vomits back out into the house after <laughs> yeah. we leave yeah so um, the reality versus yeah the, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah so nobody the, lives like that you know? yeah but i think i think what's a really useful tool when you're looking at those glossy images and what it is you know that's going to inspire you is to really assess that image and say what is it that I like about that image like is it a particular floor material or is it the way the light enters the window or is it the height of the space or the colour of the paint of the wall like to actually really analyse what it is that you're looking at is 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 important to do there hmm. and then you can take that element and pull it into your own design like there's no point copying something that somebody has done for somebody else and their needs and their location and their orientation it's not going to work for yourself so it really is about analysing what speaks to you from that image. 
and then using that as an inspiration in your own design work. At what point or what kind of stage are different communications used in your design process, like be it from pencil and paper, be it just uh, mood boards and cutting random bits of paper up, be it uh, mind mapping or, you know, as you mentioned, they are going into the digital aspect of modeling. Do do they go in a a kind of a, a strict order or is it... Back and forward, really. Back and forward. Yeah. Also, I would mention that um, we're kind of, well, I am in particular, sorry to pull you down with me growing up, but we're Luddites. Like, we're we're, we're not very... We're not very tech savvy. We, so we break computers, really. <laughs> <laughs> they, we, we, um, but that doesn't stop us. Uh, yeah, no, we, we, we very much use a pencil and paper in the beginning for a good, good while. And then we might draw hard line draw which we, we when we say hard line we mean in a computer program in 2D we would always start with getting the plans right and um, so you really work on the plans first with your clients and when the plans and the flow and the brief is met and everything there is working it's only then really you start to bring it all up and like you'd have an idea as you draw the plan you know what the form is that you're not just doing a plan mm. But it does sort of start out as it a... It starts out as a diagram. A diagram. It, it, yeah. A kind a of a spatial... Dry, a spatial a spa- diagram, yeah. yeah. And then it becomes a volume. And it's at that stage you you start to 3D model. So really, after you've gotten your your kind of flow diagram or whatever way you want to call it, right, then you're into 3D. And, and all the way through this, you're going to kind of maybe print it out put some sketch we use sketch roll a lot where we overlay and we'll get ba- the pencil back out and mm. we'll just be like hmm can this be better and you, you'll you'll do that f- for a long time and then when you're on site ages later you're you're drawing details for the contractor on a you know just on the back of the mm. minutes or whatever you've got to hand so you're always drawing details like you're and a lot of the time we find that's very much on the fly you're, you're out on site you're trying to explain what it is you want. So drawing is our communication tool. Yeah, and it, yeah. it's so useful. To, it's such a useful skill to be able to throw, draw in three dimensions what it is you can think of. But like you really, you know, we've realised with COVID and sometimes been having that communication is removed. You know, you haven't been able to physically be on site with somebody, but you're trying to have those conversations. You realize how that that is so necessary to be able to have a pencil and to be able to, as you draw it, you're explaining how things are going together. So you're drawing a little 3D sketch, you know, you'll draw the steel beam, you'll draw the timbers coming into it, you'll draw the insulation. And as that 3D sketch comes together, the main contractor will often pick up a pen and then they'll they'll join in and they'll be like, well, I see what you're saying, but what I need is this flashing to come down here. So that... That collaboration. That collaboration on site to be able... Like a, lo- a lot of main contractors, they can absolutely... They can all th- think in 3D. They, they wouldn't all be very used to drawing in 3D, but we find if we draw it, they can kind of... They can kind of join in. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so it's very natural, is it? Yeah, very natural. Yeah, but they love when you do those sketches because then 
you can really get that resolution of that detail mm. quite quickly and efficiently. So I think if you can get that skill at any stage in your education, I mean, it'll just stand to you yeah, in life. Like mm. I, I will use that technique in the and supermarket to explain <laughs> something to someone. You know what yeah, I mean? And, and I presume that like those drawings or those sketches are, are messy. And oh, oh, my God, yeah. you, you wouldn't be framing them now. Yeah. And that can often be, I suppose uh, you may speak to this, your confidence to have messy drawings. Because oh, yeah. some people may think that they won't show it to somebody unless it's finished no. and polished. Oh, no, and no. Like it, a lot of what you're drawing is actually what you're saying at the time you're drawing it. Like, you know, if you think of the really good artists, nearly less is more, you know, they might have a couple of lines and they've just dis- they've just drawn a horse. But I mean, it's mm. it's incredibly limited drawing. So we would you're talking, you're drawing and it's those two things will get that or across. Even, even you see like artists um, study sketches yeah. like they might have done 10 or 40 or 100 sketches before they start their their final piece. So it's just that working out, you know, and I, and I think as architects, what we're doing is figuring out how things go together. So how one material meets another, how that's waterproofed um, or how a window is angled to let light in a particular way. Or a piece um, of fitted furniture within the building, even like you might end up drawing handle detail for the guy who's building uh, a unit inside and you want the handle to be really cool little detail and like mm. you have to draw that in 3D for them to understand what it is you want them to physically build and then they have to come back and say well I have a machine that can do it in this way but the machine I have can't do that exact diameter that you're drawing you know so mm. it's that process and I, I love that process that back and forward with the people who are actually physically building it because when you have them in the room with you you can just get to the bottom of what we can actually do. And is that an assumption of the what architects do that might be out there that the majority of the work is new? What people associate with the work of an architect is so new. Work. The reality is, if you're an architect in Ireland, no, like no matter who you are, you're dealing with old buildings on a day-to-day basis mm. because we are a really old country. You know, we've been around such a long time. You know, you go to Canada, and they've got a building that was built in 1950, and they're like, "Oh my God, this is really old," and like we're like that. That's not old. Like yeah. we <laughs> regularly work with 400 year old cottages. And if you think about that, it's been there for 400 years. And the clients very often like, I'm going to knock down that shed. <laughs> like, oh, my God, don't. It's a responsibility. It. Don't touch. step away with that hammer. <laughs> step back. Because yeah. to think that something has managed to survive 400 years, like we're not going to be part of its destruction. Mm-hmm. And also think about how somebody cited that building at the time as well. Like they, I think knew, ba- back, at, back, back at that time, like humans were much more connected. You know, we were we were more connected to the land and to the earth and to the to the weather conditions. And a lot of buildings, let's say in the Irish landscape, were cited for shelter. So it wasn't about commanding a big view. Like that's that's quite a recent well, yeah. thing, really, since kind of Victoria, Georgian or Victorian times. It's all about commanding a view and having a big view. But back then, um, it was all about, you know, sheltering from the prevailing winds, turn the gable of the house to that mm. and then having an entrance door away from there so that you're not blasting your house with cold air every time you come in the front door. Um, it was about um, 
gathering around somewhere warm that you could. Fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. that you could cook and that you could bake and you could sit and chat or whatever. But they gathered the stone from the area and built the house. Mm. They went to the local slate quarry, gathered that slate and they got lime from a kiln. They did hot lime and they re-limed every year. They've created a hard shell. You know, the building breathed. You know, it's, it was very it, much of the land. They under yeah. they understood. And, and we've lost that. Hmm. And they had such a limited palette of materials. You know, they might have had 50 or 60 materials to work with max. Now we have thousands. Yeah, but going back to our blank sheet of paper. Yeah. T- t- question but almost. Yeah. yeah. But actually, I suppose part of our role and we'd be very interested in this um, is what are the healthy materials to use? Like, should we be looking back into that group of 40 or 50 or 60 materials that were available? Like, should we be looking at those and seeing how they how they, how they promote really good air quality? Very good. And I suppose the last question I'll just ask you just to close out the, the conversation today. Uh, you know, you can think back to your own experience, but would you have any advice for let's say, a, a student studying junior cycle um, about maybe going into a role like you have or what you've learned uh, in the preceding years that if you were to go back and look at yourself at that age, any advice you give to a 13, 14 year old? I suppose when I was going through school, I, f- I didn't feel confident that I would be able f- to study something like architecture and enter the construction industry because I was probably quite a sensitive person. And I think now after working in the industry for 20 years I can see it's sen- tough as old boots now. well I have a tough <laughs> I have a tough shell now but I'm still a very sensitive person but um, that sensitivity is a strength because you're not losing sight you, you know an architect needs to be thinking about others like you have to do it you have to have really good empathy you, do, you, ha- yeah. you have to be able to understand other people's needs and so like I've learned the skills to deal with the what the construction industry throws at you but I see now that having good empathy and sensitivity is a, is a, is a really strong skill set to have as a designer when you're designing for other people. Very good. I think that's a, that's a really nice note to, to finish on. I think the, the time has flown. Yeah. Um, I think you'll agree. But uh, I'd like to just thank you both very much. I know we made contact um, a number of months ago and you've actually partook in one of the Arts and Junior Cycle uh, for the film series um, that was an enjoyable resource as well I'm sure the teachers are going to make use of and uh, yeah just finish off by thanking you very much and hopefully we may work in the future again yeah thank you Michael thank thanks you. for thanks having for us. us thank you for listening to this podcast which was created by the Arts and Junior Circle team in collaboration with the JCT4 team to hear more from Junior Cycle Talks, search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere you listen to your podcasts.